Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by this message from the Kalamazoo, Michigan campus. For more info on the church, visit newdaycommunity.org. Cameron, going to bring a message for you this morning. All right. Thank you. It's good to be here. It's actually been 10 weeks since I've preached here, so... Um, and a, a big part of that is, you know, we're intentional about training up and releasing other leaders. And, um, you know, when I schedule in big periods of time when I'm not here and the church is able to not only just make it, but prosper and grow and take on new initiatives, that's fantastic. And, uh, but it's good to be back and good to be able to share with you a word. Another thing I'm excited about, the... Um, the outreach to street ministry. I just heard somewhere that, you know, a church sh- should be more focused, should be less focused on just getting people into our building and more focused on getting our people that are in the building out onto the streets, right? You know, uh, and we'll actually accomplish the goal of filling the church uh, when we really get to down our call to reach the city. And, uh, you know, Jesus set, um, told the story, the, the parable of, of the man who wanted to hold a feast, and he sent his servants to, the, to gather those, um, you know, uh, whoever would come. And so that's just really exciting, and then to hear such a great testimony of God doing things. So please uh, prayerfully consider, even if you feel like, oh, I'm, that, that's not me, it's, I, I, you know, I can't do that. Listen, you can do it, because the Holy Spirit in you. And uh, the Hexels are great. They were uh, spent time as missionaries in the Philippines, and they've been trained, and they're really passionate. I was here at the beginning, and I got stirred up by their passion for, for the law. So good job, church. All right, we're going <clears> to <throat> continue our, <clears throat> pardon me, our uh, talk on, uh, it's really continuing the upward journey, which we've been um, uh, <clears throat> uh, talking about the uh, central part of the year, part of our year-long uh, series on spiritual growth. The upward journey is really about getting to know God better, and it's it's really based on this verse in Second uh, Corinthians. So that uh, it says, "So all of us who have had the veil removed, and that veil is the veil that that um, blocks the eyes of the the Old Testament Jewish people when it, this was being written. The Jews that that had Scripture, but they weren't able to see what that Scripture really meant. And Paul's explaining that there was a veil over their eyes. But we, when we come to Christ, and anyone who comes to Christ has the veil removed, and we can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. Aren't you happy that it's God's job to make us like Him? All right, it's not our job to, be, to, to become like Him. It's our job just to see, to look at and so as, as this upward journey of getting to know God better, in that process, He then, as we look to Him, He activates and changes us and makes us more like Him. So in this month, we're talking about things God doesn't like. Knowing, knowing the things a person likes, as well as knowing a per, the things a person doesn't like, really are equally important. Okay, And so if you know your spouse like something and you give your spouse that whatever it may be maybe your spouse likes a great breakfast with eggs and bacon and so you get up and cook them eggs and bacon and they're just happy as as can be and you know it's like points 
right? <laughs> My wife happens to hate eggs. Um, yeah, I know, it's weird. <laughs> so if I got up and made her eggs every morning, that would not be a really good thing to do. <laughs> I would lose points, <laughs> all right? And so knowing uh, what a person dislikes is a very important uh, way of of getting more uh, a deeper relation, growing in your relationship with them. And so this, this month, uh, starting last week and for the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at a few things. The Bible says that God hates as a way, uh, not to just harp on bad things, but as a way to understand God so that we can grow in our relationship with Him. That's what, that's what the purpose is. And it's all based on this verse in Proverbs. I love this. Um, it says the six, there are six things... The Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. A proud look, and Jimmy McKaig shared uh, on the haughty eyes or a proud look last week. Uh, I'm going to continue on. A lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift to running to evil, in running to evil, a false witness who speaks lies and one who sows discord among brethren. We realized as we were sitting down to prepare this uh, series that a lot of these match up. So today, a lying tongue, number two, and, and the and number six one, a false witness who speaks lies are, are really very, very similar. And so I'm going to be talking about both of those today uh, as we delve in. <clears throat> so uh, the first point is, uh, when we're talking about a liar or lying... Or a false witness, uh, and I feel really strong, I'm going to emphasize this first point, is that this applies to me. I was struggling, how am I going to preach this? I'm like, this applies to me, I'm a liar. I just want to publicly confess to you, to the entire church, I am a liar. I am a false witness. Bear me out here. Generally, it's not a good thing for a pastor to say, <laughs> I'm a liar and I'm not lying. <laughs> I'm not lying right now. I mean, I lie, but no, just joking. <laughs> um, you know, when we read the Bible, when we read stuff like this, you need to apply it first to yourself. Because this would be a real easy one to say, well, I'm not a liar. This is talking about God hates those people that lie. That person that always lies, that person at work that lies all the time. So-and-so, he lies all the time. And uh, it doesn't say he hates the person, he hates the behavior, first off. Okay? Because the behavior is really destructive. We're going to delve into it a little bit more. But I want you all to stop and just for a minute, like I had to stop, when I, when I sat down to really dig into this scripture and, and try to uh, hear from God how I'm going to communicate this, that the point number one is that this applies to me as much as to anyone on the planet. All right? And if you think that this doesn't apply to you, then you're lying to yourself. So you're doing it right now. <laughs> All right. Um, and let me just uh, uh, elaborate a little bit on this. And so by the end of the time, like I don't intentionally lie. Uh, just to clarify that, it's not my desire ever to intentionally lie. But let's just talk through this a little bit. <clears throat> Isaiah, ever heard of Isaiah? Probably the most significant prophet in the Old Testament. The book of Isaiah um, actually has uh, uh, 66 chapters, and there are 66 books in the Bible. 
And you can actually get the entire story of the Bible if you just have the book of Isaiah. That's another message. <clears throat> you can dig into that. But here is Isaiah, chapter 6, verse 5. He has an experience where God reveals himself. God comes down. The train of his, uh, his, his, his train fills the temple. The temple posts are shook. And so he experiences an open manifestation of, of God himself. And his response to seeing God and hearing the angelic chorus, worshiping God, this is, what, this is what he says, first saying, Woe is me, for I am undone. Behold, I am a man of unclean lips. When he, when he saw God, he realized he had unclean lips. He was a liar. He spoke untruths. He says, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. In fact, that's everybody's talking, talking lying and talking bad. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with tongs from the altar, that was before the Lord, and he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is purged. Your sin is purged. And so this is very interesting that at the revelation of the presence of God, Isaiah the prophet, the first thing that comes to mind is that his, he has not been speaking truthfully and he realizes and he confesses this sin. And the angel, God doesn't say, oh no, Isaiah, you're actually pretty good. That's why I'm coming to you. No. God deals with this sin in a very direct way by taking one of the live coals. How many want a live coal? Put your lips. <laughs> this live coal actually cleansed him. If... Uh, now just, just keep in mind here. This is Isaiah chapter 6. All right? He's already prophesied, spoken, and written five whole chapters that are recorded in the eternal word of God. All right? This is someone that God trusted to speak his eternal word. If Isaiah, the prophet, had unclean lips... And is one of the authors of Scripture, five chapters worth before he gets his unclean lips dealt with, how much more so are you and I likely guilty of misrepresentation of the truth from time to time or, or saying, saying things that aren't quite true or sometimes even outright lying? Okay, <clears throat> this is why I'm saying this applies to me first as much to anyone else. Let's talk a few more scriptures. Uh, <clears throat> in the New Testament, James, the brother of the Lord, writes this. So Isaiah's from way back in the old days, but James is one, one of the last uh, books in the Bible. <clears throat> in the New Testament, he writes to Christians saying, hey guys, we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man. Okay, how many want to step up and say, I'm perfect? Oh, we all know we're not perfect. And James says, listen, the measure of perfection is whether we can maintain uh, uh, purity in what we say. Uh, and if we can do that, we're perfect, man. We got everything else. <clears throat> also able to bribe the whole body. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at the ships. Although they are large and driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member, but it boasts 
great things. See how great a forest fire, a little fire, kindles. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature and is set on fire by hell. Wow, this is pretty strong stuff, isn't it? For every kind of beast and bird, a reptile, uh, and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no man can tame the tongue. This is God's word. So we may have a much more tame tongue than someone else, but ultimately, when we face the Lord, we're going to realize, oh my word, my tongue has been unruly. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men uh, who have been made in the similitude, in the likeness of, of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. So it's very clear throughout all of Scripture that we all sin, and we all sin with our mouths, uh, with our words. All right? Uh, we all lie, we all deceive, we all uh, misrepresent truth. <clears throat> uh, now these ought to not be. These things ought not to be. All right? so, so the fact that the Bible says, listen, we all sin, but also says you, you, this ought not be. We need to change. It's pointing out, it's correction. This, this is a behavior that is not appropriate for Christians, and actually we can change. And that's really what this sermon is about, and that's what this series is about. The Upward Journey is about coming to the place where we're transformed, we become more like Him by looking at the Lord and getting to know God better. <clears throat> so we're not to compare ourselves with that guy or that girl down the street or that we work with that's worse. We're to compare ourselves with Jesus Christ. Okay? So if you compare the level of purity of your words, not to other people, but you measure whether or not you're, you're, you're pure in your words to the measure that Jesus Christ was pure in his words, well, that's a different standard to live up to, isn't it? And so when I look at Jesus and say, wow, he never committed any sin, and maybe I don't lie as much as someone else, but compared to Jesus, I have a long way to go. Does this make sense? All right. And when you acknowledge that, that as is step number one, to transform your behavior so that you actually begin uh, becoming more and more like God in, and more and more like Jesus in the way that you talk and so that you can recognize that that's something God hates and you don't want to behave that way. So point number two is, well, what is lying? And, well, everybody knows what lying is, but we're going to delve in a little more in detail. The word uh, translated lying simply means an untruth by implication a sham. Uh, I like that. Uh, it can mean without a cause. In other words, saying something that really doesn't have uh, anything behind it. Uh, let's see, what do they call that now? False news? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> uh, or, or just saying something that doesn't need to be said. You know, for maybe uh, uh, reasons that you do not even want to admit. Anything that's deceitful, falsehood, feigning something, pretending something that's not actually true, something that's vain, uh, that's another thing. It's like, wait a minute, vain? Vanity? Yeah, vanity can be uh, wrapped into this idea. Remember, 
No, the Bible wasn't written in English. It was written in, in, in Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic. And so when the original word includes just vain talk, talking uh, self-centered, talking about yourself, or it's just something that's wrongful. All of these things or anything that falls under any of these categories is lying. It's, it's a false witness. It's misrepresenting. It's intentional or unintentional misrepresentation of facts, of others, of yourself, uh, or, or really anything. All right? And it's very important that the word unintentional is in there. All right? Because you can be very convinced that you're right <laughs> and find out you were totally wrong. And I remember... There was, a, there was a time, a specific time, I have clear memory of it, this was many years ago, that I was convinced, I mean, this happened, I was in the room, I heard the person say this, this, and that. And I just was just dumbfounded. How can that person say that? Well, I don't believe that. And, I was, and then I met with, uh, 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 had a follow-up meeting with another person that was in the room that I trust inherently. I'm just... I just really trust this person completely to either even headed and, and just, you know, really good. I was like, I can't believe this person said this, uh, and I remember it. And he looked at me and said, what are you talking about? I was I was there. He said, I, I quoted them verbatim. He was like, no, that's not what they said. I'm like, what? Like, that's not what they said. And so I'm like, I was challenged. Do I believe him and the other person or me? And, I, and then I realized, you know, <clears throat> memories are malleable. Especially when you think you're right and you think they're wrong. It's really easy to, to be convinced of something, and then you play it over in your mind, and, and it makes it more and more right. And, and realize, oh, unintentional. I didn't intentionally misrepresent that person, but I was misrepresenting that person. Um, <clears throat> and that's lying. Everyone operates out of a personal, from a personal bias. We uh, inherently give ourselves the benefit of the doubt, and others vice versa, okay? And, and you just need to accept this. this. This is not necessarily wrong, in the sense. It's just part of being human, all right? How many are human today? <laughs> I'm normally human, all right? So in other words, even depressed people, I'm serious, even really depressed people that hate themselves, will give themselves a personal bias. In other words, they see themselves as they're justified in being depressed. Or I'm depressed because of all these reasons, all right? Let alone someone who's happy. When you come to something, you're always going to be biased. In other words, you're going to give yourself the benefit of the doubt. And generally, everybody else has to prove themselves. But you've already proven yourself because you're yourself, <laughs> right? And so this sets us up to uh, misrepresent and change actual things um, uh, to favor our own ideas, our own opinion, our own perspective. And then the other thing is, we have a very tiny perspective of anything. All right? We think we know what's really going on. But you don't. You have, a, you have a, just a tiny sliver of, of, because everything you see, you see from your perspective. And that's, why the, that's why there's four Gospels that tell the same story. Because we needed four different points of view. And if you look at some of the stories, you're like, how can John say that and, and Matthew say that about the same event? They both experience, and this is just part of life. We look at things differently. That's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a real benefit 
when you work together in love because you can get a better picture of what actually happens by relying less on your own opinion and understanding you need to hear out the opinions of others. So acknowledging <clears throat> this personal bias and, and, uh, and realizing uh, that it, it exists will help you to uh, not lie and not misrepresent the truth and not do this thing that actually uh, is contrary to the character of God. Now, not lying does not mean berating yourself constantly or uh, walking in a sense of false humility, okay? So I'm not saying you never trust yourself uh, or you're always talking around, walking around saying, well, I'm probably not right, blah, 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 talking about yourself. No, 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 no. Rather, <clears throat> it's having a genuine humility where you think soberly of yourself and you give preference to others. So soberly is having a good understanding of your strengths, your weaknesses, your limitations, your biases, and then responding appropriately so that you can represent uh, truth in a, in a way that brings uh, 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 really the best outcome. So the Bible actually talks about what proper speech it looks like, and there's a passage, chapter 4 in Ephesians, really zeroes in on it. Verse 15 says, Speaking the truth in love uh, may grow up, this is concerning this church, that we should be speaking the truth in love, and in doing so, we will grow up in all things. Grow up means we become mature Christians uh, into him who is the head Christ. So we become more Christ-like when we learn how to speak truth in love. And that's really, really important, that all truth needs to be spoken in love. All right, and something can be true. It can be even um, uh, uh, con con a confrontation or a difficult thing that has to be said. But if you say it in love, uh, um, then you can you can actually bring about maturity for yourself and breakthrough for the person that you're dealing with. And in doing so, when we learn as a church, as a people, to speak truth in love, we can overcome every obstacle. You know, and the opposite would be not speaking the truth. Right where you just keep you don't talk about a bunch of stuff, and that just allows untruths or lies to perpetuate, or speaking the truth not in love, and that brings about condemnation, criticism, uh, and, and that's unhealthy. Right, but when we get the balance of speaking truth in love, any 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 problem can be sorted out if you're just willing to talk about it in love. Uh, <clears throat> and then Ephesians four twenty nine, let no corrupt word. Uh, proceed out of your mouth. The, the, the message uh, translation uh, says, let no cutting remark. I like that. Uh, nothing that cuts, all right? No insults, no criticism, no corrupt word. Any word that is in any form corrupt. The Bible says, just don't let it come out of your mouth, all right? But instead, what is good for necessary edification. Oh, I love this phrase. There's so much packed into this. It's got to be good. Everybody say good. Good. It's a good word. All right. All of our words should be good. It needs to be necessary. Some things are good, but not necessary. All right. Somebody may need to hear something, but not right now. We don't need to bring that up right now because it's not going to make anything better. They're not in the right frame of mind. They're not in the right place. I don't have it sorted out in my heart. Um, I counsel people a lot when they're agitated about something. That's not when you try to hash it out because your, your agitation will only make it worse. You need to go to prayer. You need to get it settled in your heart 
so that you can approach this topic in love. You, when you talk to a person that's offended you, you're talking to them from a state of love. How does that happen? You go to God and say, I'm so upset. I can't believe this person said this. This happened. I'm so upset. Da, da, da. And then you get, you get to the place where you can forgive them and receive God's love for them and realize, oh, you probably offended them worse than they've offended you or certainly you've offended someone else. So you can approach them in love. So that's, that's, the, that's what makes it necessary. That, that's what makes it the right timing. All right. So it's good, it's necessary, and the result is edification. Edification is a big word. It just means to build people up. All right? It means to, to, to equip them. It means to help them become better. Help them to become a better version of themselves. All right? Not help them become more like you, but help them become more like Christ. All right? And if that, that's a big, uh, uh, huge rule if, to judge whether or not you should say something. Uh, so this totally eliminates complaining, doesn't it? Totally eliminates criticism. There's no room for criticism. You know, uh, truth in love might be constructive criticism. Well, this is really great, but boy, you know, when he said that, it came across this way. Oh, really? I didn't think it that way. I know, I know you would never think that way, but that's how it came across. Oh, well, you know, so that's okay. <clears throat> and then the, to impart grace. Again, the message says that every word a gift. All right, graces can also be translated gift. And so uh, that our words are to be gifts. Uh, and, and if you live by these rules that we read in Ephesians and other places in Scripture, even if you're unintentionally wrong, if you operate from these rules, you'll end up uh, being able to bless people in your speech and your talk, and you'll be humble enough to receive correction because you'll say something and they'll go, no. What do you mean? That's not what they said at all. <laughs> and like me, come to the fact and realize, oh, maybe I don't remember everything as, as accurately as I think. Now, this applies to self-talk as well. I just uh, actually, in the last few weeks, I, uh, when I was up north in a uh, pastor's camp and a week of vacation, I read a book by Martin Lloyd-Jones called Spiritual Depression. It's actually quite good. Uh, he was a famous preacher from about 100 years ago. And he says this, he says, we need to stop listening to ourselves and start talking to ourselves. Uh, and the idea here is that we listen to ourselves. I'm such an idiot. I'm such, well, how could I be so stupid? And we're constantly listening to ourselves. And it's usually that self-talk is, is criticism, is putting yourself down or, or, or highlighting mistakes uh, that you've made or failures or challenges and start instead of listening to yourself ramble on and being negative, you need to start declaring the word of God over you. And this is in the context of many, many verses, whole psalms. Why are you cast down, O my soul? You know, uh, the psalmist is talking to himself. Look under God. Uh, uh, lift up your eyes to the hills from whom our help comes. You know, you need to quote scripture yourself. You know, the truth is, you're a conqueror. You're victorious. You're not a loser. You're more than a conqueror in Christ. And so it applies to how you talk to yourself as well as how you talk to others. Amen? Everybody give me a big amen. amen. All right. I think this is point number three. It is. Why God hates lying. Point number three. There's four points. We're on number three. We're going well. So why does God hate lying? <clears throat> well, it's not just because it's wrong. All right? Just because it's wrong is never a good enough reason. You know, when a kid asks you, you tell them something to do, and, and they say, why? And you say, because I told you to. 
You know, when they're one or two, that's okay. But when they get a little older than that, you need to give them a why so that they can eventually learn why to make the right choices in life. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. <clears throat> and so this verse, I am the way, the truth, and the life, is extremely important. Jesus self-defines himself. He tells us this is who he is. And, and right there in the middle is I'm the truth. So anything that's not absolutely 100% true is contrary to the person of Jesus Christ. And he says, I am the way and the life. And so if you're contrary to truth, anything, any, even, even, even if it's just a hint, a little bit off truth and, and, and partly into deception or lie, then you're, you're, you're off target. And that means you're off target in the way. That means you're not going to get to your proper destination. And you're not going to experience the fullness of life. Is this making sense? If you're not lined up with truth, then you're also not lined up with uh, the way, which is the way to the Father. And you're not lined up with life. And ultimately, you're not lined up with the person of Jesus Christ. And that's who we're supposed to follow. And so Jesus is the truth. I love that truth... Biblical truth is not a, a, a definition of, made up of words, like everything, like a scientific description of, uh, of something. That's, that's not truth, because that's not how the world really works. You know, science keeps discovering new things, and so they have to keep rewriting the textbooks. So none of the books are true. They're just the best description they can come up with at the time. The Bible describes truth as a person. Because ultimately, life is about being a person. And, and, and persons, it's, it's fuller, it's richer, it's deeper, it's much more meaningful. All right? And then 1 John 5 says it this way, We know that we are of God, and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. Okay? So the whole world is under the deception, the deceit, the, 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 the sway, the influence of, of, the, of, of Satan. Right? And there's a contrast here between the entire world and those of us who have come into relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. We know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know Him who is true. Wow. This is what dis differentiates us from the world, from those who are lost, from those who are under the influence of Satan, is that we know Him who is true. And we are in we live in Him. Our essence, our identity is in the person of Jesus Christ. We are in Him who is true, in His Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God. Kind of an emphasis here. He's pounding this true, 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 because the whole world is lies, lies, lies. All right? And so this is our identity. Why does God hate lying? Because God is so true in every aspect and to an infinite degree. And to whatever degree that we are, are, are missing truth, we are in contradiction to the person of God and the person of Jesus Christ. Ultimately, it, it separates us. Let me read a few more verses here. James says this, Do not be deceived, brethren. Writing again to you and me, Christians, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above.
comes down from the Father of lights, from whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Okay, so, so God is being described as so absolutely pure and right and true that there's not even a shadow of change in Him. All right? There's no variation, there's no, no differences of meaning or, 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 or deceit in any, any way. <clears throat> of His own will, He brought us forth by the word of truth. So truth is pretty important, isn't it? Uh, in the whole Christian experience in knowing God, that we might be a kind of first fruits of His creatures. And so we were brought forth by the word of truth. We were, we were uh, created to be representations of the, tr the true God on earth. And so this is why God hates lying, because it's misrepresenting who, His very nature. And it's, it's so contrary to, uh, to who he's called us to be. It's completely opposite to his nature. Where we operate uh, 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 in direct uh, contradiction to who he is and who he's called us to be. And therefore, it's operating in contradiction to who we are. Right? It's not who you are. And it's so important <clears throat> that we uh, identify and humbly accept that um, God hates lying because he is so true. All right? So the smallest little deceit, this teeny little misrepresentation, and this is where all of us are liars, and, and I, I, I'm definitely guilty of it. Uh, you know, I misrepresent something, I'm lying. In, in God's presence, that doesn't get missed, okay? That doesn't get, oh, it, it doesn't fly by, right? It's harsh, it's a discordant sound and the symphony of God's truth. You know, the worship team's just got a bunch of instruments, but one of them's out of tune. Everybody hears the one that's out of tune. All right? When we're in the presence of God and there's nothing but truth, and we live in Christ, and we say something that's not true, what was that? It's feedback, right? In a spiritual dimension. And, and all the angels go, Ah! Oh! <laughs> not good do you want all the angels to go ah when you say something no even when you say it quietly to them it's loud it's like well <clears throat> untruth any form of deceit cannot exist in god's presence and we are created to live in him ultimately god hates lying because it distances us from him it's the opposite of the upward journey it's when we speak untruth we stop our upward journey, turn around, and we start going, and we start descending. Are you hearing me? It's slipping back down. And, the whole, and God's trying to get us closer, and when you misrepresent, you're slipping back down. Point number four. Ready for the last one? How can we be changed? Well, the, the very chap, uh, verses that I read earlier from James, he continues on, and he gives us a, a key that I want to focus on as a way that we can be transformed it says, he, uh, who, is, who is wise and understanding among, among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, <clears throat> do not boast and lie against the truth. Emphasizing truth, which is the opposite of lies. Uh, and the key here, I think, is meekness. Okay? Meekness is confident humility. It's not weakness. It's being strong but humble. All right? And when we realize 
He, remember, these, these are the verses that follow the earlier verses. It says, every man lies and they ought not to be. And then he goes on to tell us how not to be a liar. And that's to be meek. All right? Uh, it, 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 do the right thing as best as you can with meekness. In other words, recognize I'm, I'm speaking the truth as best as I can, but you know what? I might be wrong. And if you can show where I'm wrong, I'm, I'm happy to change because I want to be more right because Jesus is more right than I am and I want to be more like him. <clears throat> and so be, be, be meek. Deal with heart issues. If you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your heart, uh, you're, not, you're going to miss it, okay? And so the Bible says you need to deal with the heart stuff because if, it's not, if you're not healed up in your heart, then you're going to actually end up, uh, that's going to come out. <clears throat> outward constraint, just re- I'm not going to lie, I'm not going to be deceitful, just putting on outward constraints is useless if there's not inward transformation, all right? And the Bible says that, really. You need to be meek, but you need to deal with the stuff in your heart so that you can actually be changed outwardly. All right? And then Jesus says it this way, For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. A good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, brings forth good things. And an evil man, out of the evil treasure, brings forth evil things. Uh, but I say to you, that for every idle word men speak, they will give account for in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you'll, you will be condemned. I don't know about you, but every time I think of this verse, I kind of panic a little bit. <laughs> right? Because it doesn't say, you know, by every word that is thought out and delivered. You know, my words here, I've been working on actually for weeks. I preached this message two or three weeks ago, and, uh, <clears throat> uh, last week, I think, Bridget, and I can't remember. It was two weeks ago in Vandalia. And I, I, I labored over it. I wrote down the notes. I reread them many times. Um, but idle words are, are just the words that come out when you're not thinking. When, when, you're, when your brain is able to restrain and you let something slip out. And Jesus said, you know what? You're going to have to give account uh, for every one of those on the Day of Judgment. I'm like, really? How's that going to work? I don't know how it's going to work, but I know it's going to work. It doesn't mean you pay for your sins because Jesus paid for your sins on the cross. But if you've been speaking lies and misrepresenting God throughout your life, once you get to heaven and you're sitting there face to face with Jesus, he's going to say, hey, listen, we just need to talk about a few things. Why? Because we, Jesus wants to have a really intimate relationship with you. For eternity, you're going to be able to look at Jesus and know there's nothing that was uncovered. That was left covered up. Everything was uncovered. Does that make sense? Everything's been brought to the light. And he says, when you said that, that wasn't quite right, was it? Uh, Now I understand, Lord. I was totally wrong there. Yeah, I just wanted to clarify that with you so that, you know, because we're going to be fellowshipping with everyone for eternity. And so this verse uh, helps me be changed because I realize I'm responsible for every word. Everything I say. Uh, And it tells us how to make a change. Fill your heart with good, and and good will leak out of your mouth. If you got evil in your heart, evil's going to leak out of your mouth. So how do you change? You get God in your heart. You ask Jesus into your heart. And you you make sure you're constantly filling yourself with good words so that uh, 
even when you're not thinking, good stuff comes out. It reminds me of the famous chorus of old worship songs. is turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full into his wonderful face, and the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. As we look to Jesus, it actually changes how we see the world. It changes us. And as we fill ourselves with him, we can believe that out of ourselves, out of our heart, and then out of our mouth, we'll speak good things. Hebrews says this, that we are to look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. All right? He's the one who's writing the story, and he's going to finish it. If you're here and you've never looked to Jesus, or if you thought you did, but it hasn't changed the way you're behaving, then maybe you're not really, maybe you haven't come to him in, in a way that's complete. Maybe you've not even saved, or, or maybe, you, maybe you've made a commitment, but you haven't been living it. Um, maybe you're at a part of your uh, spiritual journey where you recognize Jesus is true, but you, you haven't looked at him well enough to have it transform your behavior. You still have heart issues, and it leaks out of your mouth and in your behavior. Uh, that can change this morning, right? You need to make a commitment to Jesus. If it's a first-time commitment or if it's a recommitment, you really need to do this every day. Every morning, wake up and say, I commit my life to you, Jesus. Get born again every morning, all right? Uh, uh, and if you've never done that before or if, you, if there's a, been a significant lapse in your walk, we're going to have our prayer team up on this side of our stage. And they are uh, folks trained to lead you in a prayer. They have some resources that they will give you uh, to ensure that when you leave this morning, uh, you know that you're a different person.